Tonight's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Tonight we are going to talk about a movie we all saw over the weekend. Um, a Simple Favor, I think it's called. It stars Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. Um, and it's definitely, I think it's a weird sort of film. Um, I'm joined tonight by my usual crew of Anna, Gerald and Maggie. Um, everybody say hello. Hello. Um, and yeah, so, hey everybody, um, so as usual, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast, we're just going to rip into the details of the plot of this film, um, so yeah, let's, let's get started, so, um, let's, as usual, let's go around and go around the table and get everybody's, um, impressions of the film, um, who wants to go first? I'm happy to go first, if, um... Go ahead, Darren. Okay. So, I thought this wasn't a terrible film. I thought it was a solid film, but it was a very confusing film for me. Um, I mean, essentially, this film is a... Look, I mean, let's go through the rough premise of the film. The premise is that there is a... Anna Kendrick is like a mum. She's a single mum. She is kind of like a little bit neurotic, comes across as quite lonely, I guess, and um, one day she goes to school and to pick up her son and meets the mum of one her, of her son's classmates, who turns out to be this whole, like, she seems to be, like, this very successful woman, she's, like, you know, potty-mouthed, um, you know, likes to drink. Anyway, so Anna Kendrick kind of becomes friends with this woman, who is Blake Lively's, Lively's character. Her character is called Emily, and her Kendrick's character is called Stephanie. Um, one day, uh, uh, Emily calls Stephanie and asks her for a simple favor, hence the name of the film, which is to look after her child, and then she subs- uh, Emily subsequently disappears. And then there is a whole thriller kind of movie that's built around this to those so what happened to Emily sorry what happened to yeah what happened to Emily how is Stephanie kind of involved how is um, Emily's husband who is played by Henry Golding who we recently saw in Crazy Rich Asians who plays a guy called Sean how is he involved and anyway there's this whole plot and it kind of unravels right so basically my initial view of this film was that um, it was a really weird film and it definitely there was a fair degree of tension in this film but it was it felt just all over the place from a genre perspective i went into it and the first 15 minutes felt like a comedy and then subsequently it kind of ramped up into this full like hardcore thriller like this psychological thriller and i almost thought it was going to go down the path where um Anna Kendrick's character, Stephanie, was going to be revealed, like, it was going to be something where she and Emily were actually the same person, and she was just deranged, or, like, it felt like it was kind of going down that path, and then it kind of, like, turned into a sort of pseudo-detective mystery, and then the when, like, basically, Stephanie starts investigating Emily's murder, and then it just kind of descends into this sort of weird comedy farce 
at the end, especially that for me, the last scene was super jarring. Like it didn't feel like it kind of belonged in the film. So it was a, I felt I didn't really kind of know how to really <laughs> sort of view this film because it, it felt like there were so many genres mixed in there and it felt so tonally all over the place, right? Um, having said that, I mean, it was a interesting story, I guess. It was, like, pretty... Like, I, I felt like I was interested in the plot. I mean, at no point did I think to myself, I, I just don't care about any of these characters. I don't really care about what this mystery is actually about. I definitely cared about the mystery, and um, I, I was definitely... Um, I didn't see the resolution of the mystery either, right? So I, I thought that was that was good from a thriller perspective, but at the end of the day, it was just so jarring. Like, all the the sort of... The tonal shifts were so jarring for me that, like, I, I'm... Yeah, I guess... I, it's It wouldn't be, like, one of my favourite films as a result, right? It, it was a kind of so, solid, sort of weirdly interesting, probably experimental thriller film, but I'm not sure it quite lands. Anyway, that, that's my initial impressions. Does anyone agree mm. with me? Does anyone sort of hugely yeah, disagree with me? <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, I thought the genre... Yeah, I too was um, trying to figure out what I thought the genre of this film was. And I think what it... To me, it seems like... Okay, you, you're right. I agree. It, it, it's The problem with it is that it's um, a low-level mix of multiple genres. Instead of right, like going hard on a particular genre, it's kind of mixing a lot of genres in and going kind of not going hard on any of them. I What it reminded me most of was like a send-up of the Gone Girl-type movie because it's the same kind of thing about, you know, a very uh, strong female character um, planning, um, you know, planning a, a devious plot, let's just put it that way. Um, but it's funny, it's maybe funnier than Gone Girl is, um, and there is that, a lot of comedy element to it, but it's just not, it's not that funny. It's kind of dark, but not that dark. Um, so I think it would have done better if it had committed to a particular genre. I think it should have committed to um, being a send-up or satire of that Gone Girl style um, psychological thriller genre, and then it would have, I think, been a lot better than it was. Um, I did enjoy it. It was fun. It was interesting, scary at times, funny. It just was low-level, all of those things. Um but having said that, you know, Henry Golding, the more I see him, the bigger crush I develop. And I'm looking forward really? to Really? Wow. Him. Yeah. 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 Your voice broke out I know. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing him in more movies. Sure, you got to bulk up, buddy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you need to I'm going to bulk up and I've got to tan up. <laughs> Yeah, and where's your English accent? Yeah. And I've got to start speaking like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's working already. Yeah, I don't, I'd agree with that. Um, for me, I thought it was an attempt to be a sort of throwback to, you know, those, um, that, that genre of, 
murder mystery mixed with a bit of fun escapism and it's just a little bit absurd from the sort of 60s. So Alfred Hitchcock, I think, did it really, really well with movies like Charade where it's funny, it's um, whimsical, there's a genuine story and um, there are characters that you can actually attach you, you can you can watch um, and and go along with their story arcs and their character arcs. Um, I thought that this was kind of an attempt to do that because as the movie progressed, particularly after the um, after it hit the halfway point, it seemed to get more and more absurd. And the ending to me was an incredibly absurd ending, um, mm. where they're all in a room together, they talk to one another, they emit things, um, and you know they. They do absurd actions like a fake um, shooting of Henry Golding's character by by Anna Kendrick Steff, and then leading into a real shooting of Henry Golding by Blake Lively's character, um, and then it's all caught um, on this live stream through um, Stephanie's vlog. It just seems really absurd, but I think it's deliberate. And then and Emily gets run over by a car. Like, yeah. don't forget then she gets run over by a car, <laughs> exactly, by a mother, a stay-at-home dad who <laughs> watches Steph's vlog. And then it ends with, um, you know, t- uh, where are they after five years or ten years? So, which is kind of like, you know, with some of those six movies from the 60s, that's kind of what they try to do. Um, and the idea of a mystery within a mystery within a mystery all of that, it, it kind of felt like they were trying to modernise or do a sort of modern take of that kind of movie from the 60s. Mm. Um, I wasn't sure if they were that successful, but was I happy to have seen that movie on a, you know, late one Saturday night, had a bit of fun? Yeah, I was. It kind of satisfied that gap, I suppose. Mm. Mm. It's interesting you say that, Max, because um, definitely the title... One of the really striking things about this film is the... The music and the title credits, I think, like they seem like you know when they first come on, it's kind of really odd that they're done in that way. And I can un- like if it really is a homage to those sort of sixty style films, I can kind of see that because there is an element of that sort of design, that sort of sixties design um, in the sort of credit sequence and kind of that sort of French, Frenchy style sort of music. Um, look, I, I don't know that genre very well I have to say like I haven't really watched a lot of it but yeah you might you might actually be right I'm, I'm not entirely sure but you know if the credits are anything to go by maybe maybe they were trying to do some sort of homage there yeah Jerry um well this is one of the most misleadingly marketed films I think I've ever seen because uh, the trailer made it look very much like a Gone Girl wannabe, um, even though it did mention the involvement of Paul Feig as director. So for those who don't know, Paul Feig directed Bridesmaids and Spy and Ghostbusters, so he's primarily uh, a director in the comedy space. But the trailer did say that, you know, this was Paul Feig uh, venturing into his dark side. Yeah. I suppose suppose that's right. Um, So... I think on one level this movie plays as a dark comedy, but on another, on another, I think it's it's absolutely fair to say that it's it is a bit of an homage to um, the comedy thrillers of yesteryear. Um, you know, 
one only has to look at the title sequence of you, as you said, Daz, and the and the prevalence of sixties French pop in the soundtrack. Not to mention um, Blake Lively's threads. I mean, she's wearing sort of old school uh, haute couture pantsuits and. The dress that she wears in the very final scene of the movie is very sort of um, reminiscent of 50s housewife with a, a big splash of colour. So even though Paul Feig is not generally known to be a particularly stylish director, he's, he has no sort of visual flourishes or anything, um, it seems to be the case that um, they invested a great deal into – giving Blake Lively a very distinctive look. Her clothes were probably the biggest line item in the entire film's budget. And um, and it was intended, I think, to um, put us back in that sort of space of um, sort of glamorous, chic, uh, 60s French um, comedic thrillers. Uh, and, look, I didn't, I didn't hate the movie by any measure. I thought it was very entertaining. Um, the movie... Uh, sort of exploits very well the comedy chops of Anna Kendrick. Um, and Blake Lively, as it turns out, is quite funny as well. So I, I would never have picked it. So the movie um, was She's married surprising. to Ryan Reynolds, Gerald. <laughs> Come <laughs> yeah, on. It, well, I, I, I didn't realise that the two of them troll each other on Instagram, like, constantly. And it was only in the course of, like, where did, you know, just you know, sort of googling what what was going on. Where did she where did she sort of you know get these comedic chops that I that, that I chanced upon the fact that those two are actually um, quite funny together. They're almost sort of sickeningly cute. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a, it was a good scene. It was an entertaining uh, little um, harmless movie, uh, and you know you're not gonna you're not gonna feel as if you experienced Nirvana um, after after the credits start to roll, but. Um, that's not the point either. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with that. So, um, okay, let, let's let's delve into a few things. Uh, I, I think we're pretty much all agreed in, in the general strokes of things, right? I think, like, look, I kind of want to come back to this point of the sort of genre mashing, um, because for me it did really... Like, the final shift in tone was... I felt was really weird for me, right? That final scene, basically the moment where I felt like he kind of really went too far was that the final scene when the guy runs over Blake Lively with the car, right? And it feels like that scene belongs in a, almost like a slapstick comedy film, right? You know, yeah. it's... And it, then you contrast that with everything that kind of went on in the first half of the movie, right? You know, the first half of the movie, you start off, you have Anna Kendrick, you see Anna Kendrick vlogging, right? And you see there's, like, the crackles in the vlog, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, wait, wait, is, um... Does that have to do with something? Is that reflective of our mental state or something like that? And then, you know, like, there's all these, like, really kind of quite disturbing, like, undertones that are happening at the beginning of the film, where... For example, like within meeting Emily for like once, essentially, right? Like Anna Kendrick's character, Stephanie meets Emily once, and then she's talking about it like, oh, Emily's my, be my best friend, right? Like there's something like, for me, I read that as there's something like creepy and kind of disturbed about this woman. She's a little bit unhinged, right? 
And she's a brother fucker. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But beyond that, right? Like, you know, there's a sense that she's got secrets, that she's like, you know, a little bit unhinged. <laughs> how, how, how can there be a beyond being a brother fucker? <laughs> <laughs> But so, so there's all this stuff kind of b- builds up and you kind of think to yourself, okay, fuck, w- what's the resolution of this thing going to be, right? Like, it, like it, this is going to turn, I thought, I actually thought at one point this was going to be turned into a fight club thing, right? Where she's basically the same character and it's just some weird mental breakdown that she's having, right? It felt like it was going down that sort of really hardcore thriller path, right? And then you contrast that beginning, right, which I thought was actually very strong and very gripping, with what happens in the end when they have that showdown in the the sort of, like, the fake gun showdown in the kitchen, and then, like, getting run over, and then, you know, people crossing their arms and kind of, like, you don't mess with, like, the mothers or whatever it is, right? Like, like that scene just seems so out of place in the film, right? And I, I can I kind of see, like, how the tone has shifted, but, like, the tonal disparity between sort of various points in the film is massive, right? Yeah. I felt that really, just so, found that really disconcerting. I, I guess I didn't read, um, I think you, I didn't read any of that stuff into the beginning of it, right? And I didn't ever think this was going to be a bigger film than it was. What I read into the beginning is that they've, They've painted these two cartoonish characters that are meant to be different types of mothers, right? So the stay-at-home mum that's got nothing in her life other than posting vlogs about cooking meals and signing up to too many things to the annoyance of everybody else and just the perfect mum versus the stereotypical mess of a mum because she apparently prioritises work over her child, swears in front of her child, mentions being on antidepressants and drinking a lot in front of her child, um, you know, just this this mess of a parent. And, and it just seemed like they painted these two, like, distasteful opposites of, like, stereotypical mums. Um, and so it seemed very much in line with this stereotypical stay-at-home, goody-two-shoes, no-life mum that she would be obsessed with this glamorous woman and read and not not having any friends of her own read into their friendship more than there was. And I, and so that's the tone I read from it from the beginning, and it kind of kept that tone all the way through the movie, although I admit it just got a bit more ridiculous towards the end. And whenever anybody steps onto a road in a movie or a TV, I'm always expecting for them to get run over. It's always a shock to me when they're not. I'm always just waiting for it. And every time it happens, it just looks ridiculous. It looks like a cartoon. Like the way it's depicted, it just and it makes me laugh. Like even when it's a serious move, it just always makes me laugh because it just looks so absurd. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't read any anything sinister about Emily in the first. No, I got, I was annoyed. I was annoyed that they were painting these really this ridiculous dichotomy between women. I don't know if that exists or not. It's certainly no part of my life and it's not how I see other mums. Maybe maybe that does exist and that's fine, but it was annoying to me that they were painting these polar opposites. And if they'd gone harder on the satire angle, I might have been a bit more okay with it. 
but they didn't. So yeah, mm. no, I didn't read anything more into it. I would have, I would have felt very foolish if you turned out to be right. Because also, Darren, like whenever that, whenever that theme, whenever that, it's like a, oh, it's actually the same person. They always shoot that so that no one else sees the other person, but the person, right? But whereas here, you had the other mums and you had the, um, the stay-at-home dad, and they were clearly commenting on both of those women, and they were outside of the narrative of those two women. So I never got that impression that there's something mm. more sinister. Yeah, interesting. Because, yeah, because I, I think part of this tonal dissonance that I got was also that because you had these characters like the... So I obviously read Emily to be... Uh, sorry, Emily and Stephanie to be much more sinister than they actually, well, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about, right? Like from the seriousness of the film perspective, right? Like I obviously read it to be much more serious than um, you guys did. And definitely, I I guess for me, because I was reading it, I I felt like they were going down this quite serious path. It felt like this really weird tonal shift when you do have like the peanut gallery from the mums, right? Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I've got to say that Paul Feig has certainly done more elegant genre mashups than this. Um, prime example being Spy, which had the virtue of being one of the funniest movies of the year when it came out and, and actually a pretty good spy movie. Um, and, uh, and it was a much more seamless film than, than this one. I think it is fair to say that there were moments when it did become a bit jarring. Um, and even though, um, you know, if a movie stars Anna Kendrick, uh, there's going to be a limit to how, how dark it is because you don't cast Anna Kendrick in something that's really, really dark, given that she is um, famously sort of bubbly and effervescent. So, um but but even even accounting for all of that, I agree with you, Daz. That there, there, there were moments when when this was quite jarring, um, and the comedy was to the extent that it was comedic was um, uh, felt felt as if it was inserted into some dark material. I mean, the stuff about Stephanie's background, the the incestuous love affair, and the husband. Uh, Killing her brother in a murder-suicide car crash—that's that's some dark shit. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's 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 kind of played for laughs with the brother fucker line and the fact that she's constantly referred to as a brother fucker. Yeah. But that, that's that's pretty dark, and that's that's like fucked up, particularly if you also consider <laughs> that her son might be the spawn of her mating with her brother. <laughs> like, like that's properly, seriously dark shit. And all of that's played for laughs. And I'm not criticising the movie for that. I'm just saying it, it, it is it is a bit unusual and it's not something you usually see. Um, it might be construed as kind of tasteless. I didn't take it that way. But, um, but it does speak to the way in which... Um, it's not entirely clear that these things were actually thought through all the way. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the other reason why I kind of felt that Stephanie was a little bit sinister was because, like, you know, after Emily dies, the way she kind of just slots in to 
like yeah. Emily's old life. I was like, hang on, you've got to be a little bit of a crazy person to do that, right? Like, surely, like, <laughs> you, like, mm. like, you know, when. Who's the real psychopath? Yeah. Sorry? Stephanie or Emily? Oh, who is the real psychopath? Stephanie or Emily? Yeah, exactly, right? There were moments in this film where I was like, hang on, who's actually the crazy one here, right? Because. But then it yeah. played, it played into that other stereotype of single mums being out to steal married mums' husbands. Like, I've, I've had a friend tell me that the stereotype is out there and that she. Yeah, I, like, I've heard the stereotype is out there and it seemed to play into that. Yeah. Which again was like, I was just mm. kind of annoying. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Clearly, I'm just mm. not into. I'm not up to date in my mum stereotypes. <laughs> like, I, I, no, like I gotta say, I didn't. I didn't really understand. Like, it's interesting that you say that because I. I guess I, I've never really been aware of these stereotypes as keenly. Mm. Maybe because I'm not a mum, but yeah. But it's interesting that you say that. Yeah. Mm. Um, let's have a quick chat about um, Anna Kendrick, Mags. I, I know that you mentioned to me when we finished watching the film like did you feel like Anna Kendrick was just playing the standard sort of Anna Kendrick role <laughs> a little bit a little bit the way in which you know the, the sort of humorous lines that they gave her to execute and the cute dancing and um the cute outfits that her character wore um it all seemed to merge into um really similar characters that I've seen her play before so I guess the question for me is whether she's able to break out of that mould um, for future films. Because she's clearly very good at that that type of character. She's got, as, as Gerald said, you know, she's known to be bubbly, you know, comedic timing, excellent, um, excellent um, comedic actress, I suppose. Um, but and it she would can have... sing. Yeah, and she can sing. Um, but it would be good, I suppose, to see her in something else. And I... I thought that maybe this could be one of those, but I mean, she did definitely demonstrate the creepiness. <laughs> um, so she's got range. Um, it's just that, you know, uh, this movie, I think, probably limited her a bit. Yeah, people forget that Anna Kendrick was nominated for a Best, Actra, Best Actress Oscar um, for a movie called Up in the Air. Um, in which she played opposite uh, George, Clooney, George Clooney and Vera, and Vera Famiglia, or Fem, uh, whatever. And um, she played a very, very different character. She played this sort of um, grasping, ambitious young woman on the make who didn't know much of the world but definitely knew she wanted to climb the uh, the corporate ladder. And she was um, she gave off this appearance of being. Um, uniquely ruthless and heartless because she and George Clooney had this job where they flew around to different big big corporate headquarters just firing people. And um, and she was this sort of prim and proper uh, character who was really had this outward appearance of ruthlessness, but was actually increasingly fragile and vulnerable. And it was a it was actually a really good performance. Uh, she doesn't seem to have gone back to that sort of dramatic terrain since, but um, but she. I think she's well and truly capable of extending her age. Mm. Mm. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah, look, I mean, to the point of um, Anna Kendrick, I, I actually thought she was very well cast in this film. Um, not just because she was playing this sort of cutesy, like, sort of slightly klutzy, earnest sort of character, which she is kind of known to play. <laughs> but um, I thought she 
fit in well because she actually made a convincing foil to Blake Lively. I mean, Blake Lively is this... I mean, visually, right? Like, visually, mm. Blake Lively is a tall... She looks like a model, right? She's got, like, that sort of model, supermodel style, um, body shape, very tall, um, thin, sort of graceful, right? Um, and you kind of think, well, okay, I need to put someone in there that actually contrasts with her, right? So... You know, like brunette hair, you know, shorter, etc. But at the same time, I actually need someone in there who physically can kind of stand up to her, right? So, like, you know, when you kind of dress them up, like they can they can um, legitimately come across as serious rivals, right? As in, when I say rivals, I mean like sort of. She can hold her own. Yeah, yeah. hold her own, etc. Right, mm-hmm. and absolutely, Anna Kendrick was able to do that, right? Because she's able to kind of dress down into that sort of cutesy, like more frumpy. Uh, frumpy is probably not the right word here, but you know, it's like the less sort of formal, that sort of um, more sort of casual sort of mum in inverted commas look, right? But then in this film, when she really wanted to turn it up and she wanted to go into like the tight black dresses or the, um, you know, the sort of slightly more couture stuff, right? She puts that on and it's like, okay, visually, even though there are clear contrasts between the two physically, they also seem matched, right? So I, I thought that from a visual casting perspective... Um, Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick were, like, really good for this film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, is there anything else we really want to talk about in this film? Um, I was just going to say, and Anna Jo, I know this is going to be sacrilege. Yeah. Um, not Henry Golding. What? Henry Golding. <laughs> <laughs> not Henry Golding. Like- Can he act? <laughs> Can he act is the big question. <laughs> Well, well, we'll talk about that, but also, um, I mean, this is his huge follow-up after Crazy Rich Asians, right? This is his attempt to break into Hollywood. Um, and in some ways it's a good, it's a great idea because he's got these two leading women who are famous and um, really marketable in their own right, and then there's um, the, the uh, marketability of um, Paul Figg as well. I'm not sure if I said his name right. Um, but his character, man, I hated his character so much, so much, because he seemed like such a easily manipulated, wimpy, over-sexualized dude. Um, yeah. And I, just, I wasn't sure why they made him like that. I, I don't know if it was meant to show the sort of contrast in style and power dynamic that you know, Stephanie and Emily wielded over him. Um, and it was almost like he was um, a device to demonstrate the differences in their character and the way in which they approached relationships. But, yeah, at, I mean, um, the close-ups were awesome. <laughs> He's clearly a very charismatic um, actor. I just, you know, I hope that his next role gives him a lot more opportunity to really act. Mm. Yeah, I, I got to say, I, I think I, I thought Sean's character was also super annoying to me, right? Because he was a character that, like, 
like basically, if you wanted to sum him up, he only just thought with his dick, right? Like he was just like <laughs> super over sexualized and just like basically, if you were hot and would and have sex scary. with him, and that was it, right? Okay, fine, whatever, I'll do it. And so it was yeah. like he was a super annoying character as a result because it was like, well, you know, you're just an idiot. <laughs> I mean, there was that scene where. Um, they show the flashback when Emily is on the plane and takes the the ring, like, you know, sort of mm. parallel to Crazy Rich Asians, I guess, but takes it... <laughs> instead of the mum giving, <laughs> giving her the ring, she basically steals the ring, right? Actually, like, there was... The ring kind of also looked like the ring from Crazy Rich Asians. It was like a sort of green... Sort of style ring. Black, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah and yeah. like I just remember that scene, and then like I was like, "That is an immediate deal breaker." How is this guy still considering this, right? <laughs> and then they kind of parallel that scene with when she holds him at gunpoint, essentially. You know, at the bar when they meet at the bar, and they she holds him mm-hmm. at gunpoint. And then she subsequently turns around and kind of says, meet me in the bathroom in, like, 20 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I was like, who... <laughs> yeah. Who, who is still in the mood when that sort of shit happens? <laughs> what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> not, not to mention that public bathroom sex is just gross. <laughs> yeah, the plane sex. Come on. <laughs> it's wet white stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we're just all prudes, but like, I don't know, he yeah. just came across as a guy who had no brain. <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of frustrating. Yeah. Um, In fact, it was actually really, really hard to understand why Emily was still with him. Because yeah. like, cause like, he's such a drip, he's cheating on her, and, um, and she's living this, she, 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 you know, she lives in these exalted circles playing, you know, high-powered public relations manager to this, um, you know, sort of Tom Ford wannabe. And so you would have thought that uh, she would have well and truly moved on. But uh, and I think that's one of the sort of – to the extent that there were sort of um, unexplained uh, features about these characters, the fact that these two were in a relationship, the fact that she um, – her plan was ultimately to to make off with the money with him and their son in tow. Seems strangely odd because it would have been the perfect opportunity just to be rid of the man. Mm, mm, absolutely. That's yeah. That's why. Like from a plotting perspective, I find it, found it really odd that he was in on the crime as well. Like you would have thought that she would have just like cut him loose, right? Um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, the other sort of weird, weird thing was that why was Stephanie kind of enamoured with him? Because she finds out really early on that, like, you know, he's a bit of a cad. He's kind of, like, sleeping with his teaching assistant and that sort of thing. And she kind of, like, brushes a lot of it off, basically, until Emily plays her that audio clip. And, like, I was just thinking about it. There's, like, a lot of red flags that kind of go up before that, right? So it was a little bit odd that, like, they kind of pushed that relationship as well. But, yeah. 
anyway, is, are there any other things we want to talk about in relation to A Simple Favor? I think we've talked about this film at length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think we've squeezed that lemon dry. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so I, I think in summary, we, we thought it was a entertaining, serviceable film. Um, a little bit odd from a genre perspective. Um, kind of a fun film. Um, probably not going to be a super memorable film, but if you're a loose end and you kind of want to see something on a Friday night that's somewhat entertaining and a little bit odd, then yeah, it's it's not a bad choice. Um, okay, cool. Thanks, everybody. I, I, we'll be back next week with um, to talk about another film, or we may have a special format coming up. We'll, we're not entirely sure yet, but we will definitely keep everybody informed. Um, yeah, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you, my um, pop culture double daters, for participating. Thanks, everybody. And Yay, thanks, Derek. Thanks. <laughs> See you guys. See you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.